love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. Don't you just love a good love story? Love is like that. It's the light that is part of your life. It's unconditional. There's something there for all of us. There's hope that we can get through this and find some joy in our lives. He's always been the one. Self-love is a love story too. Those little sparks of joy are really important. Imagine someone making your biggest dream come true. It's important for people to understand that you're not alone. We love to be part of a Canadian love story. The love story never ends. Well, love is the most important thing. My love is for my community and promoting and making awareness. And I always said, if it helps one person, then, you know, my mission is complete. If anything positive could come out of this experience that I had being diagnosed with ovarian cancer at 33 years of age, it's that I really feel there's a difference being made right now. And I think the momentum is going to keep going. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. Today's love story belongs to Dina Edwards Wadden. Imagine being diagnosed with a dangerous form of cancer at 33. That's exactly what happened to Dina just a few days after her daughter's second birthday. But not only did she do well with her treatment, she turned the tables on ovarian cancer and created Teal to Heal. It's been called the largest free ovarian cancer fundraiser in Canada and you need to know about it. This is the Canadian Love Map. Dina, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I'm I'm really I'm really excited to have this conversation because I feel like every woman mm-hmm. in Canada should hear this, but also everyone who loves a woman should hear Absolutely. this. Absolutely. So, yeah. tell us about yourself before for the diagnosis. Let me just ask you about yourself. Forget about, let's put cancer aside for a sec. Tell me about Dina. I will. Um, So my name is Dina Edwards Wadden and I am born and raised in a very proud Cape Bretoner. I'm from Sydney, Nova Scotia. I am a nurse practitioner. I've been a registered nurse since 2011. So for the last 12 years, and I've practiced as a nurse practitioner for the last seven years. I work in primary care. I am married to a wonderful husband, Mike, and I have a beautiful three-year-old daughter, Micah. And I am someone that has always prided myself in community involvement and being involved in local recreational activities. And even through the work that I do, I'm really big into preventative health and um, just healthy living and promoting healthy lifestyles. What drew you to nursing, Dina? I I just love helping people. And I think different people get purpose from different things. And what's really purposeful for me is helping people. It always has been. Uh, That's kind of how I gauge, you know, having a good day at work is is that I really was able to make a difference in in different patients' lives. It was kind of a no-brainer from early on. You know, in high school, I was a... um, 
I think back in the day they'd call them candy stripers, but I, I they oh. called them us volunteers. So we used to go to the hospital and, and volunteer and help the nurses. And my namesake, my grandmother, was also Dean Edwards, and she was a registered nurse. So it was kind of neat to um, to not only have her name, but also carry on the profession as well. Wow, that's a great description of of being a helper and the Mm -hmm. purpose-driven part of your work. And, you know, uh, we on the Canadian Love Map, we celebrate all kinds of love. Mm -hmm. And that's, this is, in my view, this is love in action. And Mm -hmm. so we really wanted to talk to you. I I guess I'll ask you now to tell the story of Mm -hmm. how you were living a normal life and it got derailed. Yeah. So I, um, again, was living, living a normal life. I had had my daughter and I had been off on maternity leave for a while and I started just getting some lower abdominal discomfort. So I uh, went to my family doctor and she ordered an ultrasound and I had what looked like a, a really normal ovarian cyst. And they had seen it in previous ultrasounds and it hadn't really changed at all. So there was no real concern with it. And, and the radiologist recommended like, we'll just repeat this in a year's time. So anyways, uh, probably four or five months went by and, and it was October, 2021. So we were kind of out of like the extreme lockdown for COVID, but there was still like a process to make appointments and to mm-hmm. get in for appointments. And I went for my regular PAP exam and I mentioned, I said, I'm still having some right lower quadrant discomfort. And they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll have a look. They mentioned that you're due for an ultrasound, maybe like seven months from now, but we'll just put in the form a little bit earlier and we'll order one for now. So I said, perfect. And it was completely appropriate because it was, it was just a bit of a, um, like, I wouldn't even call it a pain. It was just a bit of a a discomfort, Mm -hmm. um, almost like I had a stitch on my right side and I, I almost, if I put my arm out and I stretched to the other side, it, it would kind of relieve the discomfort a bit. So that was July. And then as August went on, it was just progressively getting a bit more uncomfortable. Towards the end of August, I made an appointment for the beginning of September to go back to my family uh, physician. So I went in that day. And I said to her, I know I'm waiting for an ultrasound, but something just isn't right. Um, I, I really am noticing a bit more of a pressure in my lower abdomen, a bit of a discomfort on my right lower side. Um, and I know there's a cyst there. And I was wondering if we could do an ultrasound sooner. And she said, absolutely, we're going to do one today. Uh, and I, I find that's a really important part in my story when I share it, because yes. um, I do think... Um, just as humans, sometimes if we have a concern and we go to our family doctor or a nurse practitioner, and if we're prescribed a pill or, you know, given some advice, then that's sometimes it. Well, you know, I already saw them and they thought it was reflux. So, you know, we got this medication, but I think it's really important that we take some accountability as well and say, look, the, the issues change now, or it's persisting or it's not better mm-hmm. because we can't expect them to know if there's a change or something hasn't improved the problem. So you were really advocating for yourself. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I, I just, I felt something was not right. Um, so we went and I had an ultrasound done that day and the, the ovarian cyst had grown quite significantly to when I had previously had the ultrasound, but still there was no real concern of cancer at this point. Oh. They did an emergency surgery that evening and uh the gynecologist um removed a large what we thought was cyst at the time and my ovary came along with it and they'll never give you i'm sure like a complete 
absolutely no answer, but they were very certain that this was not cancer. So a couple of weeks went by and I did get a call from the gynecologist and, and she said, unfortunately, there was a small concerning area in there and they had sent it off to Halifax for a second opinion. And within a couple of days, I had received confirmation that it, it was a cancerous tumor that they had removed. Wow, that was a difficult roller coaster because you mm -hmm. probably breathed a big sigh of relief yeah. and yeah. thought you were in the clear and then you got the news. Mm hmm. It, it was, but I, I always had a feeling and even, uh, you know, friends came and visited me when I was admitted in the hospital because I was in for a couple of days and my husband, the same thing. I, I remember him different side saying, well, you know, they said that they're not really concerned. And I said, I just, I, I want to get the pathology. So we call it the pathology when they, when they remove something and send it off, mm -hmm. uh, what comes back is the pathology report to tell you the specific kinds of cells. So I, I do feel like a deep down, I, I did know there was something going on. I was diagnosed four days after my daughter's second birthday on October 19th, 2021. Oh, wow. What's interesting about, and, and with my background being in healthcare, I knew that ovarian cancer is very rarely found early on. Mm -hmm. So I that's where my roller coaster began because part of me was trying to be logical in the pathology report everything looked contained. They said like it didn't, you know, they tested um, some other areas within my abdomen when when I had my uh, initial surgery, they came back clear for cancer. The pathologist, they kind of will write in the note, like it didn't look that it had gotten into the the bloodstream, um, like the the vessels that are within the, the tumor. It didn't look like the cancer had invaded there. So I was trying to think logically about that. I had cancer tumor markers and they were at normal levels done after my surgeries. But then also I just knew that uh, ovarian cancer is known in the healthcare field just by people in the gynecological world as being a silent killer. And it's mm -hmm. because it's very rarely caught early on. So about 70 Seven zero seventy percent of cases are found late stage, and the prognosis when it's found later stages is quite poor. So um, I I continued. I had an MRI done, and and that looked all clear. The lymph nodes didn't look overly like enlarged or concerning, and they didn't um, see any other obvious signs of cancer. But of course, they don't really know until they get in there for further surgery. So. I was booked for a second surgery that they call a staging surgery. And that surgery was quite extensive and it involved a full hysterectomy as well. They removed my appendix, something that's called my omentum and 41 lymph nodes. Wow. How was your psychology around this time? How are you feeling uh, emotionally? It was, it was very tough. There was two sides of it. There was the part of me that was trying to be rational like I said, my tumor markers were low. It was looking like it was a stage one ovarian cancer. So I, I, I had to hold on to that. I, I needed to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. But I also, you know, had these times and usually, of course, they happen at like three o'clock in the morning when you wake up just thinking, oh, my goodness, like if this is stage three or stage four, this is a very poor prognosis. I'm still going to fight mm -hmm. it, but it's a poor prognosis. And mm -hmm. I just know there was different nights. I just stay awake in the rocket chair with my two-year-old daughter rocking her and just, just hoping and praying that um, it was a stage one cancer. So 
in January, I did have my, my staging surgery. So important to the story is in Cape Breton, there's no what we call gynecological oncologists. Those, those are oncologists that specialize with gynecological cancers. Mm-hmm. So throughout the process, I was traveling back and forth to Halifax, which on its own is a stressor for sure. A lot of Canadians will relate to this because Mm -hmm. there are so many Canadians who don't live in major centers. So, you know, this is not an unusual story to hear Mm -hmm. that someone is in a rural area or an area that's distant from the best kind of care. And, Mm -hmm. And so you were in a situation where you had to travel to really get the best care. Absolutely. And I don't want to take away. So the cancer center that we have here in Cape Breton is incredible. And actually the gynecological oncologists in Halifax, they do come down and they do some travel clinics. But for my particular situation, I had to be up in Halifax to require the assessment and care that I needed. And I also went up for a week long surgery. Oh, well, sorry, a surgery that was so extensive, I required being admitted for, I believe it was six days. So we went up the day before, and then I was in hospital for six days. So we were up there for a week. Uh, I was admitted and then my husband um, stayed in the hotel and then my parents, they brought up my two-year-old daughter. So she wasn't uh, with COVID rules at the time, only my husband was allowed to visit me, Mm -hmm. but at least they brought her up so that she could at least see him when he was before and after he went to the hospital. And after my surgery, the doctor told me that, you know, she didn't have microscopes for eyes, but things looked good in there when she was doing the surgery. So sure enough, a couple weeks after my surgery, I got a call from her that everything came back clear. And it was in fact, a stage one, my particular kind was called a mucinous ovarian cancer. There are different types of ovarian cancers that you can have. So my particular kind was a mucinous ovarian cancer stage one. So you got that call and you could breathe for the first time in a while, probably. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, um, it it was it was unbelievable and and like i had said she she had kind of alluded to the fact that after the surgery like i know in the cancer world they don't give false hope so for her to say that i thought okay she must uh, really have thought it looked looked good um mm-hmm. yeah whatever she was looking for i'm not sure but uh uh, it looked good while she was in there. And again, it was great to get the phone call that confirmed it was a stage one ovarian cancer. So stage one ovarian cancer has about a 90% survival rate, uh, whereas stage three and stage four are less than 30%. I know we're going to get there, but it just kind of ties in to a lot of my mission with what we're going to talk about is early detection really does save lives. Catching cancers earlier on, uh, I mean, it just isn't for ovarian cancer, but particularly with ovarian cancer, because we do know there's such a subtle constellation of symptoms that women can experience. So um, that's part of my mission in in, uh, promoting awareness about ovarian cancer. So let's talk about your transition from if you if you don't mind me putting it this way from victim to hero <laughs> you know you you kind of went from being uh someone to whom this was happening to someone who was taking the reins and saying okay i'm going to do something now so there's a there's a couple parts to this so the type of cancer i was diagnosed with is mucinous ovarian cancer so the the good news about mucinous ovarian cancer is it is one that tends to be found a bit earlier on. Like I said, I did have a larger, what we thought was a cyst that was really a tumor, was 20 centimeters large when I had it removed. So mucinous ovarian cancer, 
does tend to get caught a bit earlier than some other types of ovarian cancer because it does tend to grow in larger tumors. Wow. So that's the good news about it. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate news about it is it requires different treatment options than most other ovarian cancer. So they actually don't have great treatment options for mucinous ovarian cancer. So I didn't receive chemo or, or radiation. And the reason for it was because there's not great treatment options for the particular type of cancer that I was diagnosed with. Mm -hmm. So the benefits of me receiving the chemotherapy didn't outweigh the potential risks that would come along with it. But I was told at the time that there's some really good work being done for ovarian cancer down in the States. Like they're, they're on the cusp of some things. There's some, there's lots of good conversations happening. That's exciting. It is. It is exciting. Now, ovarian cancer as a whole is it's generally a a pretty underfunded cancer. If you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer the day someone walked on the moon in 1969 or diagnosed with ovarian cancer today, the survival rate is about the same. We haven't seen great uh, breakthroughs or increased survivability in over 50 years with ovarian cancer. And we know that research and research dollars can can lead to breakthroughs. So um, it's something that is really important to me to spread the message of that. So I found this group in the States, they're called the Mucinous Ovarian Cancer Coalition, and they award a $50,000 grant every year for researchers working on treatment options for this particular type of ovarian cancer. So I am from a smaller community and um, people knew that I was off work. And of course, small towns, people are talking, people are asking me, why are you off work? What's happening? And, and I thought to myself, okay, this is an opportunity. I'm just going to set the record straight. So I wasn't a huge Facebook person at the time, but the Mucinous Ovarian Cancer Coalition was a nonprofit and it was one that you could do like a fun Facebook fundraiser for. So I set a goal that I was going to type a brief history of what was going on with me. Cause I, we hadn't told anybody 10 to 15 people knew it was that, that was it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to be able to control the information that was, that was out there about me. People were very well-meaning, but no one really knew what was going on or why I was off of work. So I, I made it a Facebook post about what was going on. And I made a post that the particular type of cancer I have right now, it seems like it's gone, but I have been told if it comes back, it's considered an incurable cancer because there's not good treatment options for it. So there's this group in the States that do this grant every year for $50,000. So I want to contribute 5,000 to it. I said, let's, as a community in Cape Breton, if people have been asking how they can help me or what they can do to help, if you so wish to uh, make a donation, and then at the bottom of the post, there was a link to it. What you were saying in a really nice way is put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, May 8th, which actually fell on Mother's Day last year, but May 8th every year is World Ovarian Cancer Day. Mm -hmm. So my goal was, it was 10 weeks until Mother's Day that I made this post. And I said, by Mother's Day, I'm going to try to raise $5,000. And, you know, maybe I'll have to have a bake sale, or maybe I'll do a lemonade stand with my daughter, you know, we'll come up with some different ways to do it. Uh, My husband and I left our house and we went to Home Depot and I checked the fundraiser and it's probably a 12 minute drive. And there had been a $3,000 race by the time we got to Home Depot. Wow. Oh my gosh. That makes me so emotional. In six days, I stopped the fundraiser early because we had raised over $39,000 which translated to about 30,000 Americans. So last year, the grant 
was awarded for $80,000 instead of $50,000. We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centers. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit charmdiamondcenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. Okay, how how emotional did that make you? It do I know what emotional, but also like powerful. Yes. I thought, okay. So then my my focus changed a little bit, and I thought to myself, okay, I live in a two income household. I have a medical plan. I have access to a car. I have a drug plan, and I still struggled with the travel back and forth to Halifax and not even just the travel, but the vulnerability of going to a whole other town, a whole other place. So um, I have some great community partners, um, some being our local hospital foundation and the others being um, some girls that I've been friends with for a long time that own a local marketing firm called Anchored Ideas. So I said I was going to have a Mother's Day walk. And this was, and I want to raise money locally to create a fund through a hospital foundation for those in our community suffering from uh, or diagnosed with ovarian or other gynecological cancers to help offset the cost of them having to travel for their treatments or even for their medication. Uh, like I give the example, I was discharged after being in hospital for a week for my surgery and I was prescribed a blood thinner and it was over $400 when my husband went mm -hmm. to pick it up. Now we had a drug plan, but I could only imagine, you know, that single mom of three kids with no sick time from work. That's just been in the hospital for a week. That's just getting home from a five hour drive away and then having to pick up a over $400 prescription. Like there's so many barriers that, that are in place for individuals diagnosed with a cancer on top of the cancer themselves. So the whole point was, what if we can try to offset some of these stressors so that people can fully focus on the cancer? So that's what we did. So I, like I said, I, I'm not in the, the business world or the marketing world. I was like, we're gonna call this a Mother's Day walk. And they were like, no, Dina, we're going to give this a name. We're going to give it a brand. And I didn't understand at the time, but then I quickly understood afterwards. So that's where this teal. So teal is the ribbon for ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. Teal to heal came about. And the actual fund through the hospital foundation, we call it the teal at home fund. Oh, so right. teal to heal the, for the first year happened last year on Mother's Day, which was also World Ovarian Cancer Day. So what makes me the most proud of this event is that it was free. So it was a free event that anyone could participate in. And at the time, there were people that meant well, but they, they were saying, like, Dina, you can't make these free. You know, you're giving people T-shirts, you're giving people. There, we had a wellness expo there where the cancer center was there, well women's clinics and our local recreation department, our YMCA, just promoting health and promoting wellness. And like I said, everyone got a got a free T-shirt and a water bottle that that participated. And I said no because I don't want to put a cost on this because that is some of the very demographic I'm trying to get through to that I want to be part of this event. And the money is great to 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 raise. Don't get me wrong, but the awareness to raise and let people know of the subtle signs and symptoms like trumped that for me. 
So anyways, Cape Breton being Cape Breton is just a, a community that a community and a place where people really take care of their own mm-hmm. and the, the sponsorships that came of it. So a local car dealership, McDonald Auto Group, they came on as our title sponsor. So they right then and there, the event was paid for and everything else was just money for the fun. And like people don't like the security donate their services, the, the DJ um, and sound people donate their services. The singer, we had live musical entertainment. There were three local food trucks that came and donated all the food, all the three, they each donated over $2,000 worth of food. So there was free food on site. Uh, it was a five kilometer run and then five kilometer walk and two kilometer walk option. So if people didn't have to pay to take part in it, how did you raise the money? Because they were all sponsored? Yeah. So the, the site that we use is through our hospital foundation. If anyone wants to have a look at it, it's tealtoheal.ca. And so it's a free event to register, but we did ask for a donation if someone was financially able to do so. So um, people of all ages are able to participate. And then it's a site where Nancy can share her link. And hi, everyone, I'm running my first five kilometer run. Would you like to participate Mm -hmm. um, or join my team? Or you can pledge me. So it's similar to like Run for the Cure back in the day. You could pledge people that were participating. And then it was just unbelievable because you can join as an individual or as a team. The the teams, there were so many teams in memory of women who have lost their lives to ovarian or other gynecological cancers. Uh, And it was just a really powerful and emotional day. And at the end of the day, we ended up raising over $116,000 for the Teal at Home Fund. How many people took part? We had to cap off the numbers at 1,000 two weeks before the race happened. And how many did you foresee taking part when you planned it? Less than 100. Oh, that's beautiful. So I bought insurance for 100 people, and then I had to change it to 500 people. And then I had to change it to a thousand people. And then we changed it to 1500 because there were a thousand participants, but then with them came like family members and, you know, like we had an extra room for 500 people because some people didn't want to do the walks, but definitely wanted to be a part of the day, which we absolutely welcomed. And there's three points to the, the teal to heal kind of movement, I guess. The first, of course, is to, to raise funds to help our local community. So these funds go places for people that have to travel to Halifax for accommodations, gas cards, food, groceries, even um, medication help, but even things that we don't necessarily think of. So childcare for women while they're undergoing chemotherapy or going to important appointments, right. psychosocial support. So the psychological toll that cancer takes, like really looking at, and I feel like that's where maybe the nurse part of me comes into play is um, we look at the patient as a whole and not just the cancer. So having some support, being able to go speak with a social worker, or a psychologist with, with the, the grief that they're going through with their diagnosis, respite care for individuals that are later stage ovarian cancer. So we've, we've been able to help a lot of people and even, even some people that don't necessarily need the financial help. We do try, and this is something I'm trying to get better at this year, but we do try for every person that has to cross what we call the causeway. So for, if anyone's not familiar, the causeway is what connects Cape Breton Island to the mainland. And it, that's like a, that was for me, was very emotional driving over the causeway heading to Halifax for treatment or surgery. It's just, it's a, you're, you're in a very vulnerable state Mm -hmm. and you're just very, 
you know, upset and not sure what they expected. You know, you're going away from home to do it. And like you said, there's so many people in the situation and we just are trying to provide little cards with anyone. It doesn't matter what their financial situation is, but just a little card with maybe a gas card on the inside that says, you're going off Island for treatment that we can't provide right now in Cape Breton, but here's a little something for a Cape Bretoner raised by Cape Bretoners to let you know that we're thinking of you and we've got your back. That's a beautiful concept. You know, even when you said off island, it mm -hmm. makes me think of anyone's experience of cancer is like off island. This is yeah. not your norm. This is not, you know, the life that you anticipated. It is off island. Absolutely not. Yeah. And that's, that's a great way. I, I, I never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. And it seems to me that as much as you're talking about raising money, which is practical mm -hmm. for, for women who are going through this, as much as anything, it's also, I'm sure, that they feel the support, the Absolutely. like the safety net of that mm -hmm. of that money that you raised. Absolutely. And and even just the awareness. So, and like I said before, awareness to me. So there's vague symptoms that come along with ovarian cancer, and I'll never turn down the opportunity to talk about a couple of them. So lower abdominal bloating mm -hmm. or uh, abdominal pressure. So one thing that I can remember is I, I would lean up against the, the uh, sink, like just washing the dishes, and I felt like it was just a different feeling. And I remember just, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but thinking back and saying like, oh, gee, like that doesn't feel that doesn't feel just like my normal belly fat kind of squishing. Like that feels a little bit, that feels a little bit different when it was, there was, there was a, a tumor in there that I didn't even realize. And so like a lower ab abdominal pressure or bloating, lower back pain is another one. So of course, how many of us have lower back pain, mm -hmm. urinary changes. So the logic in that is like, maybe there's uh, something pushing on your bladder, causing like increased urinary frequency, uh, feeling full more easily is another one. So individuals saying like, they're just, they have this feeling of fullness all the time. So those are some of the main signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer. So you can see they're really vague. And like, I didn't have any of the other ones except for just the abdominal pain and pressure. So not everyone's going to have all of them. And my message to, to women and anyone born with ovaries, because no matter how we identify, if you're born with ovaries, mm -hmm. you are at risk for ovarian cancer. And anyone with uh, any of these signs and symptoms to, to get checked out. And, and like I said before, it, it not every appointment necessarily needs to have like a pelvic ultrasound done. But if the symptoms are persistent, if they're not going away, despite you've already been there and you had an x-ray on your back or you were prescribed something for acid reflux or you were treated for a UTI and the symptoms aren't going away, then be persistent and go back and advocate for yourself. Um, because whoever saw you originally isn't going to know that that things didn't improve or didn't get better with the original intervention that they they recommended. So uh, be persistent and just be aware that any of those symptoms, and if they're not going away, they warrant uh, further investigations. Yeah, it's interesting because your nursing background helped you, and mm -hmm. so I think did your intuition. Mm -hmm. You know, the combination yeah. thereof really yep. helped you advocate for yourself. But I think one of the great challenges with ovarian cancer and the fact that it's often not found till later is that women are caregivers and Absolutely. caretakers. You know, we mm -hmm. tend to be taking care of everyone else mm -hmm. and we leave ourselves to last. Mm -hmm. So 
it seems to me that a big part of what you're saying, the subtext of what you're saying is, you know, advocate for yourself and don't mm -hmm. be afraid to make yourself a priority. Absolutely. And I mean, we've gotten better with other types of cancers in doing that. So we know about mammograms. Mm -hmm. We know about PAPs. Ovarian cancer does not have a good early detection screening tool. A lot of women think that pap tests check for ovarian cancer. That I, I was asked that so many times. When was your, did you, did you have a pap done? Yeah, actually I had a pap done June of that year. That was normal, but that checks for cervical cancer. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So PAPs check for cervical cancer. Now it's always a great opportunity while at one of these appointments, if you're having some of those symptoms to mention it to the practitioner and they can lay hands on your belly, had someone really kind of had a good feeling in my belly, chances are they may have been able to, to feel, you know, a, a 20 centimeter tumor in there. So the, there's not a great early detection screen tool. And that brings me to my whole research dollars uh, uh, point of the awareness with ovarian cancer as well. But, but yeah, just being persistent uh, with the, the signs and symptoms and, and knowing what the signs and symptoms are. The Lady Ball is a big mm -hmm. fundraiser across the country in different places for Ovarian Cancer Canada. And I have been involved with the organization for a long time because I am a believer, as you say, in really boosting awareness. That's what we need to mm -hmm. do. So when we heard your story, we were excited to share it. Thank you. And thank you. And I, I know this kind of has the love theme to it. And my love is for my community and promoting and making awareness. And I always said, if it helps one person, then, you know, my mission is complete. And last September, CBC News asked me to come on the radio. It was the first day of um, ovarian cancer month. So I had previously been on discussing the Teal the Heal event. So they invited me on with the, uh, the, they had told me it was to talk about ovarian cancer. So they surprised me while I was on air with a lady who had heard my story and how I described the discomfort. And she went to the emergency department and they found an ovarian mass. Ooh. Now at that point, it was, she had just had the surgery the week before, but she, she was just very, very thankful because she wasn't aware again of the, you know, the saying like, when we know better, we do better. So if I could shout it from the rooftops, just the signs and symptoms and to be persistent, if, if you feel something's off and uh, if initial interventions that you tried with your doctor or nurse practitioner aren't working, go back, hmm. have more conversations. Yeah, that's beautiful. Dina, how has this whole experience made your life richer? Oh, it has, it's just, it's, it's purposeful. It's a lot of work. It's something that we usually start in January planning. So we're doing our second uh, Teal to Heal this coming Mother's Day on May 14th. There is a virtual option. If anyone um, wants to partake, they can register online at the teal to heal.ca site and we will mail you a shirt and you can participate virtually. But there's a lot of buzz in Cape Breton right now. There's buzz about women's health and it's like at the forefront of conversations. And if anything positive could come out of this experience that I had being diagnosed with ovarian cancer at 33 years of age, it's that 
I really feel there's a difference being made right now. And I think the momentum is going to keep going. My next hope is that the buzz that we created around ovarian cancer is really going to, to carry enough momentum to increase research dollars towards ovarian cancer research in Canada. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I'm cheering you on. Mm -hmm. I've got my pom poms out. <laughs> go Dina, go. And, I, and I'm curious about what sort of a role will gratitude play in your celebration of Mother's Day this year? I'm super thankful. Um, you know, it's all, it always sounds a bit funny to say I was, I was one of the lucky ones with ovarian cancer, but with it being stage one, so ovarian cancer, they'll use the term no evidence of disease. So it's not really ovarian cancer survivor. It's every three months you go for appointments and mm -hmm. they'll say there's no further evidence of disease. So every three months that I have I, I get my tumor markers done and I have my follow-up in Halifax. And when I hear those words, super grateful that I, I was one of the lucky ones. And hopefully by people being made aware of this and recognizing some symptoms early on, other individuals can be caught early stage as well. And um, I just, I'm one of those people that celebrate every birthday, celebrate every milestone, make the most of, of every opportunity because we, we never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Well, I'm really grateful that you're here on the podcast and I'm really grateful that you're here, period. Thank you. And thank you. I just want to say thank you for the love that you're putting out into the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for um, helping me spread awareness on this. My pleasure, truly. Thanks, Dina. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter.